hopeless for love and a unique adventure. He's just a little too vanilla. A mansion sitter to the celebs lands a fresh gig for a mysterious client. Where is it? It's the freaking boondocks out here. Cut off from the outside world. I can't hear you, you're cutting out. Menaced by a mysterious presence. <sighs> and introduced to a new reality. Look at all this cool bondage stuff. The Assignment. Watch this series now at gemweathers.com. We are proud to be the official podcast of FetishCon, and we want you to join us in St. Petersburg, Florida, August 8th through 11th, 2024. The trade show brings together models, producers, industry leaders, and fans from all over the world, and brings you great classes in kink or how to become an industry professional. You can get all the details at fetishcon.com. The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, built by kinksters for kinksters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. season of presenting personalities as their authentic selves. This is What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky, the official podcast of FetishCon. It's an intimate conversation with people inside the kink and fetish worlds, as well as other educators and sex-positive personalities sharing their stories of what makes them who they are. And now, here is your host, John, or as they are known in the kink and fetish communities. Hi there, Katsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and to our listeners, welcome. Well, here we are, episode number 200. We started this show as a way people can come together, make connections, and then we were enthralled by the amazing stories that so many women and other wonderful humans had for us, letting us into their authentically kinky life. Today's guest is a legend, and we are so proud to have her on the program because her story is so important, not only to today's society, but to help us understand what it's been like to be a dominatrix for so many years. At the end of today's program, we will have a major announcement about the future of this podcast. I hope you will stay tuned because I am very excited about where we're going from here, and I hope you will be too. Now, to our amazing guest. Mistress Stephanie Locke is 
the OG mistress, the inventor of the word fetishist, an S&M club owner by age 20. She's been the mentor to hundreds of mistresses, an advisor to a president's daughter, a Hollywood muse for over 30 years. She is indeed a legend. She opened up her first professional dungeon in the summer of 1980. And even though she had her first submissive in 79, she's been plotting her destiny since 1972. Six decades of dominance and an amazing story to tell. Mistress Stephanie Locke, our 200th guest on what women and other wonderful humans want. What was the genesis of what made our guests who they are? We begin that journey with the first five. Five questions about firsts. First time when you were nine years old in 1972 that you knew that being a mistress and bondage and all the wonderful kinky things would be a part of your life. It was achievable. Um, okay, so Katsu, I spotted my first foot fetishist at three in Spain. Uh, he couldn't stop staring at my mother's exquisite feet. She always wore Greek goddess sandals you know and her feet were perfect and we were on a train and on a bus and for like an hour and a half he sat across in a suit with a briefcase between his feet and just quietly stared at my mother's feet never said a word impeccably dressed it was always very rich men that dared to talk to my mother and then we get on whatever the next thing is you know when you have a strap and you can hang like the subway mm -hmm. so he's hanging and now he's standing right next to us and now he's just looking down at my mother's feet and then finally, it's time to get off the bus. And he says to my, he's waiting at the bottom, like all good submissives. And he says, Senora, I must tell you, you have the most beautiful feet I have ever seen. Now, my mother went to the top convent school in Europe for princesses. So all she did was say, and she's not a princess, but she went with princesses. And she looked down and she said, thank you. Well, I'm three or four, and I have on blue jelly sandals, and my feet look the same. So I arch and tilt my foot. I wonder if he'll tell me that I have pretty feet too, but you do not tell three-year-olds that. So I had to wait till I was 16. So when I was nine, at three, so at three I got, it's not just your breast, your hair, your voice. If it can be your feet, it could be your elbow or your thumb. So I got that at three, powerful. And then at nine, um, I'm military, so I was raised all over the world, and I was speaking German, Japanese, Castilian, and English to a childlike and or college proficiency based on the language. And so I thought I'd read my first Mickey Spillane murder novel. And so I went to my daddy's shelf, and I found Scream, My Darling Scream by Angela Pearson, and I thought, oh, this sounds good. I'm ready. So I picked it up, and on the first page, they're in a movie theater, her hand is in his trousers. <gasps> and she says, I've been dating you for a month because you are young and strong. And I have addicted you to me sexually because I have something I need you to do. Open my valise. And he opens it and there's a dog whip in there. And a dog whip is kind of like a long quirt. 
And she says, uh, I want to take you home. I want to tie you to a bed. I want to beat you. Otherwise, you will never sleep with me again. Well, I am nine. And I've already studied mistresses like of the royal kind since I was seven. And I was like, I have found something. So then I keep reading the book. It's the girlfriend. It's the Saudi Arabian princess judge. It's the judge's daughter with the inmates. It all these different things. And finally, I get to the mistress in New York with a nightclub where you sit in little booths that are red velvet and the stage happens. And a woman's husband went on stage and she tied him by the balls and she used special thread and she tied around the balls and then she pulled back and she tied to each big toe while he knelt. So I learned cock and ball bondage that day too. And then, wow. oh yeah, oh yeah. And when I got to that word mistress, time froze. Okay, and I'm living in Tokyo. And I look up and I say, and however you say it as a nine-year-old, the kingdoms of the world are shrinking. So if I wanna be a mistress, and I want to meet the most incredible people in the world. And I want gifts, carriages and jewels and furs and travel, the gifts of the mistress. Then I guess I need to wear leather and carry a whip. And I just remember going, uh-huh. And then I went back to reading. And then once a month, until I found my first slave at 16 who would shave my legs, I would recite the immortal words, crop, cane, paddle bullwhip, cockwhip, because when I got to my first dungeon, I wanted to know the equipment and I didn't want to look like I wasn't ready. So yes, I have prepped 51 years, ladies and gentlemen, right here. Wow. First gift you ever received as a mistress. Oh, goodness. I loved gifts. I got a ridiculous amount of gifts. So I'm going to go with thigh-high boots, Fred Slatton, Santa Monica Boulevard, British kid lined in cream leather, four-inch heel, thigh-high, three musketeers at 19. First time you walked into your own dungeon. Oh, easy. And what did it feel like? Ah, well, I got my own first dungeon in the summer of 1983 when I was 20 years old. And my partner was a mistress named Patty. We had met at another dungeon and decided to do this. So I would say the first dungeon I would have walked into would have been my Hellfire dungeon. It was half black, half red, chains in the middle, two sections, whipping post on a platform in the back, shackles, bondage bed, very Frankenstein, suspension, X-ray in the other half. I do remember taking my father in there just after I opened my dungeon and walking into the glory of where the whipping post was in the pitch black and a real round, raw telephone pole, you know, uh, splinters and all whipping post. And I spin and I twirl and I say to my father, isn't it? wonderful. And, you know, it was my father's book. So I figured he'd understand. And he goes, yes, darling, it is. And I'd like to go now. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried to give him a session with Simone Devon that night and he wouldn't take it. And Simone was like, I want to play with your father. 
I want to have fun with your daddy. Can I have him, please? Can I have him for an hour? I promise I will be very nice. And my father turned down a 22-year-old Simone Devon. Yeah. You just absorb that. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was going to be anything, you know, when you're with Simone Devon, you are her play toy and it is anything she wants. And she wanted my daddy. (laughs) But my dad, and I tried to say to him, daddy, you don't understand. This is a really big present. Please let me give it to you. (laughs) And I was like, that's all right, darling. And, you know, I never quite had the heart to tell him. Maybe he wasn't into bondage. But anyway, I tried to give him Simone Devon. When she was 22 years old and I was 20. <laughs> you mentioned Simone Devon. Oh, First yes. time you met Simone and when did you know you would be lifelong friends? Ah, January 1982. The padded cell on Oxford Drive, just north of Beverly, next to what is now the Beverly Hot Springs. And I had just gotten a job there. I had skipped too much school to finish going to college and live in the mansion my father had gotten me. So I thought maybe it's time to go to that dungeon. And I was in the dungeon at 17, but full-time at 19. So I made a phone call and I went in and uh, I interviewed and everything and I got the job. And the woman that answered that phone lives near me now, 40, 51, 41 years later. It's crazy. But I walk in And now I have to go into the lounge. And these are, you know, in the old days, clubs, they were called clubs and you paid memberships. It was only $10, but it was once a month to keep the riffraff out. But then a club member could spend the whole day there. They didn't even have to do sessions. So it was always a very full lobby. So I walked in, you know, and there were all these, these players, mistresses and submissives and switches of different stripes. Um, but there was one girl, she was brunette, she was exquisite, she was slim, and she was reading a book. Now, in 1982, people chain-smoked in dungeons and gossiped, okay? They weren't reading books. So I looked at her and I said, may I sit here? And Simone looked up and said, depends, are you an intellectual? And I said, as a matter of fact, I am. And she said, then you may sit. And we spent an hour and a half trading our life stories. They were, they had a lot of, they have to this day, we parallel each other constantly. And um, that day we became best friends, that day. So January, 1982. First time you ever appeared in a magazine with your classes on. Oh, okay. Well, that took a sit down with the mafia. And that is about 19, well, I I would say, yeah, David Jackson must've been showing up at about the same time. So it's about 85 and uh, it would have been corporal publications and their people. So corporal, dominant mystique. Um, there were two publishing wings, West Coast is Harmony Publications, uh, Fetish Times, Uh, all the David Jackson with time, okay? East Coast is Dominant Mystique, Corporal, uh, Wicked Wanda, okay? They're competing mafia publishing empires, okay? So the West Coast loved me much more than the East, but I got in with the East, about 85, um, they came out, they want to make a movie with me and they want to do magazines. 
And I negotiated the highest priced movie to that time. It was $2,000, which is a lot in 1985. And magazines, they, they, I had a, a mobster adjacent husband at the time, a great promoter. And they said, okay, now we want her, but she's going to have to take her glasses off. We see when I was 19 and I went to work at the padded cell, I had stepped on my glasses the night before in my father's mansion. And then I was in Hollywood, so I didn't have glasses on. So I worked with them for five months without glasses. I'm focusing. I'm very alert. I Okay. Then my parents find me because this director, this famous director and, and the and the designer Valentino wanted to make me a world famous model. So supermodel. So they hunted me down. And the first thing my father did is he said, he's coming to lunch and I'm bringing your glasses, darling. So I tell my later husband, Rick, and my, my, my mentor, Grandmistress Honey, when I get back, I'm going to have glasses. And they said, you can't wear glasses. It's 1982. I said, why? They said, you can't make money if you wear glasses. I said, so you're saying the only reason I've made money for the last five months is because I stepped on my glasses and I can't see well? So anyway, I go, I get my glasses. I come back. They walk around me for 30 minutes like two chipmunks muttering. And then they say, we don't know how to say this, but you're better looking with your glasses. Okay, you can wear your glasses. And it had been five months of, you need to become blonde. So we dumped blonde and I got to keep my glasses. So now it's the mafia's turn. And the mafia says, she has to take her glasses off. She wants to be in the magazines. He said, she won't take her glasses off. They said, then she has to put her hair up like a librarian. He said, she doesn't do her hair. They said, how can you do that? If it's glasses, you gotta be a librarian. If it's hair down, you gotta have the glasses off. And he laughed. This took an hour and a half, by the way, for mobsters. And he finally said, look, why don't we just photograph her, see what happens? I'll tell you what happened. Four months later, I was in 21 magazines that cover the centerfold or the main feature. And in those days, any issue was five to 15,000 copies. And every issue was looked at, it was estimated 10 times before it was bought. So I was on a million pieces of paper within four months with my glasses and uh, boom, famous. But I was already famous in LA, that happened quick. I was the first week they ever put photos in a newspaper, I was there. That's the famous bikini shot is, is my first ad. So I fought and years later, I was at a fetish event, Mistress Venus, um, photographed by Doris Cluster and her book so beautifully, she was wearing them. And I said, I love your glasses. They look so good. And she said, oh no, homage to you. So I was like, yay. And now I see mistresses everywhere in glasses and, and it just warms my heart. But I fought for this, ladies and gentlemen and furries and every other creature in between. So enjoy them. <laughs> the challenges and battles that you've had and the triumphs and victories, we have only begun to tell the story on episode number 200 of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky, with special thanks to Kinkster Merch on Etsy. We're back with Mistress Stephanie Locke in a moment. For more than three years, we have presented this podcast as a labor of love without paid advertisers. We do this as we want to give back to this wonderful community for all the gifts it has given us. If you want to financially support our efforts, please visit bit.ly slash 
Thanks, Catsuit. And give what you can to help Catsuit travel, teach, and bring you great in-person interviews. We will give you that address again later in the show. Now, here are some words from Catsuit's friends about things you should know about. Hi, Catsuit. Thank you so much for sharing your wholesome space with the team of Fetish Bacchanal. Sparkle the Brat and I, Goddess Alanis, will be hosting a three-day Kingfield retreat in Jamaica, June 28th to the 30th, 2024. This is going to be an escape of a property with a cleansing mineral cave right in the heart of it. Follow at Fetish Bacchanal on Twitter for more updates on ticket links, vending, performances, and more. Craptaculous boundaries are not your fault. The more severe the dysfunction you experienced growing up, the more difficult boundaries are for you. David W. Earle. Or as Ms. Titania said, nobody ever warns you that when you come from dysfunction, a healthy mind can feel unsafe. We spend our lives being controlled by others, so we learn to control others. Or we allow others to control us in exchange for love. Learn more about Take No Shit. Build better relationships through discovering, creating, and maintaining healthy boundaries in three, sometimes five, simple steps at my.curiouser.life. Empowering designs for fetish models, doms, sex workers, or anyone else who needs to be seen as their authentic selves. Visit the What Women Want podcast store at Kingster Merch on Etsy to see those and other wonderful designs for all Kingsters. Now, back to the show and more with our guests on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Thank you, Nookie, and welcome back to the program. I am honored to be joined on this episode number 200 by Mistress Stephanie Locke. I had realized as I was going back over your history, you are now in your sixth decade. If you yes. considered you started in the 70s and here we are in the well, 20s. I was in the 70s. I was a child. But I'm talking and, about from knowing what you wanted yes. to do. Yes, yes, yes. I, this is the way I said I had my first slave in the 70s. I've had them in the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and the 2020s. So I have dominated in six decades, and I am only 60 and a half years old, 6.0, <laughs> not 65. So yes, I've dominated in six decades, not to mention the boys I was doing when I was younger. If, if I was nine and I liked you, I boxed you, I punched you, I sumo wrestled you, I kicked your ass. If I was 13 and I liked you, I took you by the neck and I pinned you to the wall. And they would say, this isn't fun and i'd say nonsense i'm having a wonderful time <laughs> technically i've dominated in seven decades <laughs> you and i are the exact same age you're the tiger huh and a rabbit uh, uh 1963 yeah you're May. a rabbit yeah i went to school with rabbits that's why we get along <laughs> but it, it does scare the rabbits sometimes to be alone in a room with me like if we were really alone in a room i think you'd be blushing even more i God. honestly believe that because i do blush at so many things because of my naivete i've learned a lot while doing these interviews but i'm still a newbie when it comes to so many different things and so I appreciate 
the journey that I've been able to be on freely for about the last seven years, it, where you I have finally to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And it takes courage and it takes dream and it takes believing that everything will work, that your bills will be paid, that you will save your house, that you can travel, that you can, you can, you can. It's an incredible act of faith. So I congratulate you. Thank you. I want to talk about the first time I ever saw you, Mm -hmm. which was in a Harmony Bondage magazine. Yes. You appeared doing tying someone up in love bondage, as they called it. I loved the Harmony philosophy and reading that. And that made so much sense to me because that's what I felt about bondage. As I've grown older, I realize it's so much more. But the equipment wasn't available back then. Mm -hmm. Remember that we're dealing with a lack of equipment. My leather straitjacket was the first leather straitjacket to get into bondage life. My double layered front zip lacing fetters hood, the first one they ever made, was the first to get into bondage life. My boots on the cover of bondage life were the first cover in the history of bondage life featuring boots. So I I worked on their equipment. But the thing is Harmony, I think Robert Harmon himself really loved rope and really loved cloth gags. And that remains Simone Devon's favorite. And Simone, I mean, we have these arguments all the time. She always say, well, you know, you're not really into rope. And I'm like, no, I can do a 200 foot hog tie in a heartbeat. It's not a problem. But if you want me aroused, straight jacket, sleep sack, body bag, hood, chains, straps, rope. And now let me visit those nipples of yours and control your breathing. Now, I'm interested. I always say the more bondage you're in, the handsomer you are to me. Simone has a different philosophy. So, you know, we study bondage in the same place. We both trained at the padded cell in Hollywood and we would have bondage classes once a week. And that's where we refined it. Um, But she went more for rope and I went more for leather, but I was a dungeon owner. I need equipment. She was staff and a muse. She didn't need equipment. All she needed was some rope and her. So Harmony, it took a lot to get into Harmony. And um, the first film I ever made for Robert Harmon was with Eve Davis. And it's a very Betty Page thing. It's high-topped panties, it's gloves, it's a cloth gag. And I stroked her hair and I called her young lady. And I may have kissed her on the cheek. And Robert Harmon said, young lady is pedophilia. And stroking her hair was sexual assault. And how dare she kiss her on the gag? So I wrote him a letter. I wrote, dear Mr. Harmon, as the editor of Harmony Publications and the creator of the term love bondage, I would think that when I stroke a young woman's hair, it's affection. And when I call her a young lady, it's saying that I think she's charming. And if I kiss her on her gag, how many photos do you have in your magazine of tape with a lipstick kiss on it? So, and then years later, and I hope you saw it, I did the one with Sharon Kane, where she is in the leather jacket, and we are in the thigh-high boots. When that movie was made, Simone took it to Harmony, and she sat Robert Harmon down. And she said, I'm going to show you this, and if you don't approve, I will buy it myself. You will not tell me this is inappropriate. And it was 
the first, well, it was the first thigh high boots, it was the first leather straitjacket, it was the first good sensory deprivation hood. And it was Sharon Kane melting into me, which, you know, as a major porn star, she doesn't really melt, but she melts. And Robert Harmon watches it. And at the end of it, he says, I don't know how to say this. She looks like a woman, but they treat her like she's a man. Mm. And later that day, he took the video. He had a video made of the master, threw it on the desk at Harmony and said to Chelsea Pfeiffer and Brian Tarsus and whoever else might have been around at the time, probably Kiri Kelly, and said, from now on, this is how we make Harmony movies. You must study this. This is what I want. Okay. A year and a half later, I'm told, guess what? Robert Harmon says that from now on, if you want them naked, you can have them naked and you can do anything you want to them. And I said, I couldn't even kiss a gag two years ago. We're not going naked. So they never got it out of me. <laughs> but that's, I took them all the way into the modern era. And I'm glad you saw it because my work with Bondage Life, my work with Simone Devon is, in my opinion, some of the most beautiful and true work I have ever done. And it's because it lacked theatricality and artifice, not my thing anyway, and there's a purity to it. And when you look at the videos, they're very simple because it's 1993, 1994, but I defy you to find anything better in the 10 or 20 years before. And initially Simone would just want to do a little rope and talk, but I started talking from the doorway and from a distance. And so we began making complete films and my work in bondage life fills me with joy to this day. And I talked to Robert Harmon a few years ago, like less than five. And he asked if I was still doing bondage and if he could check out my latest work. And that's, you know, 40 years. And up. Yeah. I I maintain my relationships, Katsu. That's I wonderful. Thank you. It's interesting to me that in the second ever show that I did of this program, I admitted to Christina Carter that when I was younger, there was a certain sexual excitement that came from it yeah for me seeing simone sure. in that amazing black cat unitard or cat suit that she wore yes or seeing you know she's still drop dead gorgeous she has not changed but as my time has gone on yes it's more that i get aroused mentally by imagining that I'm the one being tied up. I would hope so, you know. And to be in that damsel position on FetLife, my role now is damsel in distress. And I <laughs> love the fact that I can have that after I all these years. Lovely. Yeah. But the other evolution that I've had, Mr. Stephanie, is that I've gone from that simple tie and wanting to be in that simple tie to being in the things that you talk about. Mm -hmm. Sensory deprivation, sleep sacks, anything that's tight and gives me a hug. Yes. Um, first of all, I'm guessing you're a bit of a brain. Are you? I would say I'm in the intelligent right. section, yes. So... 
Intelligent people crave brilliant bondage. Okay, and here's why. You have a busy brain. Right now, your brain is contemplating the difference of me when I push my glasses up and down. Just what the books behind me might be. How many more mistresses I'm going to recognize on your wall? If only you could tell me the bondage position and bondage life that really turns you on, which you didn't, so you should. And many, many, many other things. Okay. So first I'd put a straitjacket on and put straps around the wrists and buckle tightly in the back. And you'd go, ah, this feels nice and comfortable. I can't get out. Then we put a nice leg sheath over your, you know, spandex or latex clad thighs and feet all the way up. And we lace it and we buckle it and we make it nice and tight. And you go, hmm, starting to feel correct now. Now we add a hood. Now we do a gag. Then we might play with your eyes. Then we put more. With each stage, your brain can't hold on to so many things. And at a certain point, your brain says, I think I'm going to go visit the astral realm now. And I'm going to float among the stars. And this feels incredible. And I might even take a nap if you don't mind. And off you go. And it is my favorite thing. Bondage is my primary passion. I mean, you know, boots and corsets and furs matter, but bondage. So I understand and I vote you do more of it. Okay. Thank you. As a matter of fact, I have an open-ended scene at a party tomorrow night where oh, I God. said to the person I'm playing with, I said, I know you love to be a villain, so I would like to be your damsel for the evening. And as the evening goes on, I want you to, if you would be so kind, make me more and more helpless to the yeah. point where you're doing a scene with somebody else. And I have no choice but to sit there and watch you, you see, do it. And that's what makes bondage the best. Because if I put you in perfect bondage, I can be one inch from you or a hundred yards. You're not going anywhere. And that takes us to a level of reality. Bondage at a certain level is real. On a level, very few things are. So to be all, and I love chair bondage. So to see you all strapped down and helpless and yet forced to watch out of the corners of your eyes and the front of your eyes, whatever's happening. Good stuff, damsel. <laughs> it's the safest feeling I have because it's the rare feeling that forces me to be in a moment because my yeah. mind is constantly thinking of everything I've had to do or what I have to do. See, I called it. <laughs> that's the that's the drug. That is, can I, I call it the world that exists when the rest of the world goes away when you're in it. Well, that is frozen time. And frozen time is glorious. And um, for my for my younger peers, I hope you'll be granted this sometime. There is a moment when your bondage is so good, is so perfect, that the world stops. And as the world stops, this voice happens. And the voice says, of them all, right now, you are doing it best. And in the 90s, when very few women knew to shop at Fetters and Mr. S, but I sure did, 
that, you know, if there were only 200 sleep sacks in the whole world, you only have to beat 199 other people at that, that moment. And 160 of them aren't in a sleep sack at that moment. So it was easy. Many years in, in the late nineties, I was at, um, the, uh, the X Festival in San Diego. And I was with um, Mistress Mir and Cleo Dubois and Guy Baldwin and about four more. And they were all luminaries. And I asked them, how does it feel when that happens? And they were all 10, 20, 40 years older than me, you know, because I'm in my early 30s. And they all just got quiet. And we all just stared at each other. Like, this is a big secret. And then every one of them nodded. We'd all had it. And I think it's harder to get now just because there's so many of us playing, but it is a rush. It is a rush when the world completely stops and it's just you and them. And you don't have to do anything but be. You just have to be. And I have to decide where I want you to be and where I would like to take you to. But um, it's beautiful. So yeah, you have a nice, long, open-ended, very helpless bondage scene. Would you please? I will do my level best. Good. This may be an impossible question to answer, but have you had the perfect moment in a dungeon where you said, this is exactly how I pictured myself to be? This oh, is yeah. it. Yeah, but I don't think I could say when because... Um... My dungeons always had a lot of mirrors. I have a dungeon mirror in my bedroom right now. It's gigantic. Um, and it was, my goal was always that if you walked in and you looked at us, you would see perfect. It would always be perfect. So I was always watching myself and always glowing over the perfection of the moment. So honestly, my career was one long, couldn't have done better. This is fantastic. I love this. But it's also the floating, you know, and the flying. If you can do 24, 48, 72 hours and you're in Paris or you're in New York or you're in London or whatever, and you're in a brilliant hotel and you have amazing equipment and there's shopping and there's theater. And whenever you're playing, there's brilliance at a level that few will ever get to. Like, I don't know, hot pink, fiberglass, transvestite, mermaid mummy. And we go from there, whatever it is like that. Um, I've just, I've spent a lot of my life just going, this is really good. This is what I wanted. This is what I planned. Now, there are a lot of things that I do not do or did not do in my dungeons. I had a rule for a lot of things that I would only do it if I would have done it without money. And so um, that's pegging, that's showers, that's piercing, that's um, fisting, that's humiliation, that's carving, that's nudity, that's body worship. I limited pretty much to the point of zero, all of that. And that's why 43 years later, I can still enjoy this. But it's also because when I started, all of those acts were very illegal. In Los Angeles, if I put my finger in your mouth at the wrong moment, and you were a vice cop, and I put my finger in your mouth, you could charge me with an act of penetration. If I put a gag in your mouth at the wrong moment, that was an act of penetration, okay? And the difference between LA and San Francisco was San Francisco didn't give a fuck. 
1993 in San Francisco, trust me, needles, piercing, toys, you name it, going on all day long, all the time. Then the mistress would move to L.A. And she'd be like, wait, what? what uh, uh, you have rules? We had rules. And because we had rules, I developed other aspects more. You know, because if I could have spent my whole time with a two-foot dildo, which I see a few too many mistresses doing now, hey, maybe I'd have been lazy too. And I know it's not lazy, ladies, if you're covered in latex and you're in a dungeon and you have your thigh-high boots, but seriously, if your whole session is pegging, God, get more technique. Would you please, please, please get away from the pegging and go on. And boys, it's not just about your ass, okay? It's not. That is not submission. That is more kind of slutting it. So congratulations, but can we go back to bondage and whipping and torture and boot worship and intelligent conversations, please? And not how many strap-ons I have in a bookshelf behind me, because I just don't think that is dominance. That is a reward. And it should be very occasional. It shouldn't be why you write to a mistress. Can I have a shower and will you do things to my ass? And unfortunately, the scene is hardcore there now. Go look at the websites. What are they showing you? Cabinets of toys. And they have beautiful toys. Other toys, hoods and straight jackets and body bags and X-frames and upside down suspension and a million things. Things we never could have had in the 80s and 90s because they weren't being made. Unless you flew to Australia, unless you went to London, unless you knew Jim Stewart and you said, please, I need an 1850s canvas insane asylum bag. Can I have one? You know, and I just, I do think that the dominatrix of today is uh, spoiling the boys a little too much with their asses and not enough on their minds. Don't hate me, ladies, but think about it. I have described from my improv days, mm -hmm. because I used to perform improv on stage and, and directed as well, that there are two types of improv techniques one is predominantly male, one is predominantly female. Hmm. The male receives the gift and is instantly thinking of the solution and has a tunnel vision straight to that solution and all the action is linear, going towards the end of the story. Or In the this solution. case, sodomy. Okay, go on. <laughs> exactly. Okay, boys. The female mistake about it is the first thing that happens is when they get a suggestion they take a 360 degree turn and say where shall this journey go and oh i see a beautiful meadow full of vibrant colors over there and that would take the sensation of sight into an amazing place and oh there's a brook over here that will allow the journey to have amazing sound. And you walk through these flowers and the smells are just perfect. And it's very little about what that solution is at the end. It's the journey and the story that you tell. Yes, you want a magnificent experience and it's not the last five or 20 minutes. And to me, the most beautiful of Dom sessions are the most beautiful stories where you didn't know where you were going, but that's the exact place you needed to be. It's, it's flow and instinct and 
years ago, my sessions began being, what should I use my instincts? And if I've got you for a day, we've got time for my instincts. I had you for an hour, it was a little different. But to me, when everything's perfect, your whole day is flow. You hit the ground running and it's perfect the whole time. Um, I am guilty of another thing. I'm not much for aftercare. Mm. I really am not. But I've done 20,000 sessions and I've owned clubs and I've had staffs of up to 15. And I used to do as many sessions in a month as my entire staff did every month, no matter how big my staff was. So, you know, I didn't have much time for aftercare. Oh, how was it? Do you feel better? Was that amazing? How are your emotions now? Okay, well, congratulations. I say that goes to social play. You own them, give them a lot of aftercare. You don't say, today I thought you were magnificent. Kiss them on the cheek and send them home. If the blindfold was too tight, though, we all know that the eyes get blurred. Then give them a few minutes. <laughs> But I'm not, I am not a big, warm aftercare person. But first of all, I'm not a mean, cruel dominant. I'm warm and I'm loving and I'm, I can be very intense, but I'm not going to shred you and I'm not going to tear you apart. I'm not going to leave you questioning yourself. So maybe you don't need aftercare because I haven't called you a pig, a piece of worthless slime, put things all over you and then filled you with my golden essence. So maybe you didn't need the aftercare. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a bit of a dominant rebel. I don't know if that's showing yet. <laughs> Is it a product of our generation? To be rebellious? Of course it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I played K-Rock. I was all, you know, punk rock and hard rock. And yeah. And of course, every known psychotrope. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a break. And when we come back. With Mistress Stephanie Locke, we will talk more about history. This has been such a phenomenal conversation, and it continues when we come back on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky, with special thanks to Kinkster Merch on Etsy. Welcome to the Yoniverse. I'm Scarlett. And I'm Anya. The Flaming Yoni podcast is a celebration of the beautiful and unique expressions of female sexuality. From asexual to megasexual, from lifelong monogamy to relationship anarchy, from deep spiritual bonds of sacred union to spur of the moment flames. It is all infused with Yoni energy. Search for the Flaming Yoni on your favorite podcast platform. You will not leave the same as when you came. Sexual Equanimity by Podophilius. This is a wonderful story of overcoming adversity in which the character's story begins in a world of chaos and despair and ends in a joyous sense of mental release and understanding. Sexual Equanimity is a must-read for anyone struggling with feelings of shame and guilt as a result of their wants, needs and desires. Zane's story will resonate with many submissive males whose stories echo Zane's own and provides great insight and clarity. Make sure this book is on your reading list and ensure you don't miss out. It may just change your life. An enthralling read that combines mental health and healing with kink. The ultimate submissive man's bible. Also, don't forget to give our Rumble channel a follow at Chasm Podcast. Yo, this is Podophilius. 
Sexual Equanimity is now available to purchase as a paperback and a ebook on my website, which is www.podophilius.com. Alternatively, you can purchase the Kindle edition, which can be found on Goodreads and Amazon. Are you curious about kink but don't know where to begin? (laughs) Or maybe you have a friend who, while they appreciate your interest in BDSM, they don't really understand what it's all about. You should check out Kink for the Curious. It's a fun little activity book with color pages and word finds, lots of silly puns, (laughs) Uh, but lots of solid... BDSM and kink information written by somebody who's been in the business for almost 30 years. Kink for the Curious, a BDSM activity book for beginners written by Princess Natasha Strange, that's me, (laughs) is available on Amazon. Go get it now. Hi, this is Venus, and I have a special message going out to all the single ladies listening right now. What if you could have a committed, loving relationship with a partner who is monogamous to you, but who would love to see you have sexual experiences with others? Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. You really can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. Learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com. I'm Dr. Allison Ash, intimacy coach and educator and the founder of Turn On Love. And I'm delighted to be offering my sexual and emotional intimacy skills master course in January. This is an eight week virtual live instruction course. All classes are recorded for folks who can't attend live. We're going to dive into a ton of experiential skills, science-based data, and practices to help you create and sustain the level of emotional and sexual intimacy that you want in your lives. Care to join us? Use the promo code WWWPODCAST for $50 off. You can find out more about this course and my other offerings at www.turnon.love. Thank you for joining us. Please show your support of the show by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform and leaving us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our video channel at youtube.com slash at what women want podcast. And to financially support the show, which we greatly appreciate, please visit bit.ly slash thanks catsuit and give what you can to help catsuit travel teach, and bring you great in-person interviews. We very much appreciate it. This is Nookie, and Dating Kinky has brought you this podcast since day one. We believe in great education for our community, and this is just one of our efforts. Please join us at Dating Kinky, built by kinksters for kinksters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla, and it's free. Welcome back to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, episode number 200. And I am honored to be joined by Mistress Stephanie Locke. You started in a time before the internet. Yes. 
I don't think anybody can imagine these days what that was like unless you lived in that time. Well, what was it like to try to let people know who you were? Okay. Well, a couple of things. Um, first of all, back then, if you wanted to be a mistress, you could be in about four cities where there was a little bit of a scene. So Chicago, LA, New York, San Francisco. All right. There you got a shot. And there there will be local newspapers in New York. It was Screw with Al Goldstein and, and Corporal and Dominant Mystique. But really it was Screw to begin with. And in LA, it was the Gold Coast Free Press, which uh, was run by Mistress Elizabeth, who later created Passive Arts, which then became Sanctuary and is now the world of Mistress Siam. When I was 21, I told Elizabeth that she should become a mistress when I was at her newspaper and we were doing an ad. And I was like, you know, you're very dominant. You'd make a good mistress. And it took her like 20 years more. And I didn't know it. And one day I was like, you know, I'm so happy you became. And she was like, well, Stephanie, you told me. I was like, yeah, well, I was like 21, <laughs> you know. So um, we had a newspaper. And in those days, you must understand that like in 1980, when I found my first dungeon at 17, ads were three lines, three lines, one column. The ad that a schizophrenic created for a non-existent woman named Stephanie Locke was like a billboard. It was like eight lines, but she wasn't supposed to exist. And he was just doing it to get people to come do sessions with the women who did exist. And then a friend of mine said, you know, this guy has invented you. So I went over to meet this man and he fell to his knees in front of me in his doorway and went, oh my God, you, 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 you are Stephanie Locke. I was 17. I reached over, I pulled six, three, 250 pounds of schizophrenic up and said, thank you. And then he told me I was going to be famous. And I was like, ah, I already know that. But otherwise I would have been a Catherine or an Elizabeth or something else, you know, queenly, but Stephanie does mean crowned with an invisible crown. So I guess it worked. And it did make me famous. Um, but it was newspapers. And the newspapers, the local newspaper would be like 5,000 issues. And the guy's looking for everything. They're looking for massage. They're looking for strippers. And there would be anywhere from three to 10 ads. And by 82, the ad game had gotten bigger. So a club might have a full page. And in... Hmm. August of 83, Elizabeth alerted us that there would be the first ever photographs in the newspaper. And the woman that had ordered them was Sharima, who had an enema palace. And uh, she may have been able to stay in business because she gave the mayor of Los Angeles enemas twice a week for 10 years. And so nobody dared bust it because the mayor might be there getting his medical treatment. Yeah. So I went in the newspaper then with a quarter page ad. Um, so we had that. And then you had the magazines. Uh, and over the years, there would be, you know, Spank Hard or Ticklish Magazine or Underfoot, Heel and Toe. And then all of David Jackson's wonderful magazines, DDI, Stiletto, Bootlever's Digest. And David says, I got him to do DDI. But I say he's wrong because I'm in episode three. <laughs> so it ain't me, baby. No, 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 it ain't me. But anyway, I'll take the confidence, but it's not me. So you would you would send your photos to the magazines. There would be um, magazines where there were just 
addresses and you could write people ads. I never did that. I'm lazy. If you are one of the thousands of people that never got a letter back from me, I promise I still have it. I'm sorry I didn't answer it. Life was busy. So you went in magazines. Then you got chosen in features. So you would send a packet of photos to a publisher. The publisher would then run with these photos. This is why you would look at a magazine in 82 or 83, you'd see the cover. There's a beautiful woman. She's wearing something great. She's nowhere in the magazine. Happened all the time. I was always looking in the magazines for that one moment of reality, that one glimpse, 172 pictures. It's 1982. And you go, that one's real. Did you do that too, Katsuit? Could you tell when the moment was real as opposed to everything else? And you would search and search and search. And then you'd like, oh, it's a real photo. Well, Countess Anne lashes, goddess bless her, always real. So you would pick the magazines. And what happened was by 1984, 85, uh, I went into a bookstore one day and I was everywhere. Uh, and and I was young, I was 22 or 23. And I did the math. And I said, if in this summer, 1 million men have touched these magazines and I am an oil painting that they are all focusing on, I'm gonna be a watercolor in no time at all. And so instead of saying, awesome, 31 magazines in my first four months, I went, no, pull back, stop, slow down. And so the majority of my career, I would pick four to six projects a year. So I'd say I'm going to do two New West movies. I'm going to do two with Simone. I'm going to permit an interview in Boot Lover's Digest. And I'll talk to Chelsea Pfeiffer and Ticklish. That was it. And every year I would think, which area do I want to prove I understand? Because every group was its own fetish subgroup. And remember, there was no spanking community. We just thought spankers would grow up and take whippings. And spanking world started in my dungeon. Ladies and gentlemen, Bondage World revolved around my dungeon, Simone Devon, Eve Howard, Kiri Kelly, Mishi, oh, uh, all the stars of the 80s, my staff. I want to make that clear. My staff is where the SM world revolved. Not a little bit of the SM world, the SM world, my dungeons. And I was in my early 20s, fearless leader. So I, every few years, I would think, okay. Uh, say 93 to 97, I kicked ass in bondage. You were seeing me. After that, I proved I knew bondage. So then I went into the transvestite world and the transsexual world for a few years. Then I created the scariest tickling picture in the history of the world. 15,000 views in two hours when the TMF found it. It was funny. It's called the Camp Lockdown Tickle Stakedown. Um, you have to be naked. You have to be brave. You are pounded into the ground with mallets tied with rawhide. Your cock and balls are spread in three ways. Your arms and legs are spread out. There might be a film crew. And now I'm going to tickle you. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, that's what I did. Uh, every few years, I would stay with my favorites, like a bondage life, like a ticklish magazine, like a foot lover's digest, boot lovers. But I would enter a new area. And the internet really started gaining popularity in 96, 97, though, of course, 93 is about when it really started percolating. And I wasn't really into it, but I saw the application of it. I saw that if I didn't want to 
have to decide which magazines I would let have my images this year and my words and my interview. Because I don't know if you know this, ladies and gentlemen and Katsu, but I'm not much for fantasy. I'm about reality. If it's something I wouldn't actually be able to do, would do, or want to do, I'm not going to tell you that I will do it. Because I don't want to wear out. I want to still love it. And so the same thing with, with magazines. And so I would pick where I wanted to be. And you have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, there would be one ticklish magazine a year. One. I'm in issue number three. It's the holy grail of tickling. Every major tickler of our age will tell you the tickling interview of all time, ticklish number three. Chelsea Pfeiffer got it as the editor. And you know Chelsea from Bondage Life, of course. Mm -hmm. And Chelsea got it as the editor. And we were already at Howard's because, you know, we're all best friends. And Chelsea said, I'm I'm editing Ticklish Magazine. I said, ooh, 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 I know about tickling. I know about tickling. I can help you. And I saw it in her eyes. Yeah, right, Stephanie, you know everything. You can do everything, you know. So she'd interview me. Three months later, I'm having trouble finishing Ticklish Magazine number three. I was like, ooh, 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 I love tickling. I love tickling. Interview me. I'm available. Okay. So she finally did. And then she was like, oh, my God, you know about tickling. Well, Ticklish Magazine number three, it has Simone Devon in it. It has an article about by Eve Howard about how ticklish she is during pedicures. It has an interview with me. There are five articles related to me and or my besties. And it was the first good magazine on tickling where ticklers went, finally, we are seen. And so you had to use magazines to get your message across. But if the magazine is mafia owned, they want cleavage or pubic hair. Well, you're not getting nipples or pubic hair. So you have to think. Now, David Jackson, he would rather not show your breasts. Woohoo, go David, go. And we understood each other. We, we're gonna work on a museum project actually right now, but we understood fetish. And so we got along beautifully. Um, once the internet happened, I did, I went on um, Max Fish, Max is a darling. For some reason, Dickie Virgin, if we ever meet, would you tell me why you never put me on your website? Because I did try to get on with you, Dickie Virgin. I think, I don't know who it was or who you were seeing, but you never put me on your website, Dickie Virgin. And it kind of hurt my feelings, dude. But everybody else wanted me. So it was cool. <laughs> but it was just a shame I couldn't have Dickie because it was a good name. I figured he was a punk rocker and we'd get along. So then the the websites, I just started doing essays on my websites. A few words on caning, a few words on single tails, a few words on bondage, and I would put the photos. And before my website went private, which was only I was working in rock and roll, and a new group had bought our our stations, and they were Christian, so I didn't want to get caught. So I went, you know, behind a paywall. I had 50 terms on Google in 2007, 2010, I would say. I was in the top one to five on 50 terms, including straitjacket, caning, plaster cast mummification, the good ones. So Google loved me until I hid behind a little paywall. And then I go, oh, we'll drop you now. But I was the top of everything, pretty much. And mostly competing with gay men for the hottest stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy now, ladies. Just create your content, write what you want. But please, less dildos, more bondage. In the world, people will call themselves bottoms, submissives, doms, tops. Mm -hmm. But many call themselves fetishists. I invented that word. Come on. You're just setting that up to make me happy. 
absolutely. <laughs> okay. First Give me of all, the true definition, please. Oh, baby. Okay. Well, it came out of an ad for DDI for David Jackson. And I put up sensualist, sadist, fetishist. And just a photo. Because the other thing is I rarely told you anything. My photo just, you just stared at my photo. And if you understood what I was saying, as in, I'm real, I'm brilliant, you will have a real time, but you better be brilliant and fun, then you would meet me. And David called me and he said, fetishist is not a word. And for those of you who don't know David Jackson, he is the quality control of S&M from the 80s into the 2000s. And without the David Jackson stamp of approval, you didn't get far. Okay. And oh boy, did I have the David Jackson stamp. But it took a while. So um, he called me and he said, that's not a word. And I said, David, you can be a masochist. You can be a sadist. I love fetish. I'm a fetishist. And he said, you cannot use that word. And so we had this little, and I was like, David, just, just print it. Just, just do it. Okay. Well, it still was a long time. I was studying academic papers in the early 2000s, and they would use fetishist as appreciating medicine fetishes. So in other words, little dolls and whatever. And I worked with Dr. Drew from Loveline. And I said to him one day, well, what would you say a fetishist is? And Dr. Drew kind of freezes because he never knows it's me. So it's kind of fun to fuck with him. And so he'd be like, well, I, I said, okay, Drew, how about you are into fetish and you like a lot of fetishes. And so you're a fetishist. The other day I found an academician who wrote a paper and used the word correctly. It has taken almost 40 years, ladies and gentlemen, but a fetishist is someone who really truly loves fetish attire and fetishizes it. For instance, hi there, catsuit has a fetish for what? What do you have a fetish for? Bandex and catsuit. Ta-da! Hey, just for you, Katsuit. Yoga pants, black spandex, feel loved. <laughs> <laughs> there you are. Um, so that's what it means. And it's gone far. And lately, I see it on websites everywhere. And I see hashtag fetishist. And I know I haven't made the wiki dictionary of words yet. But I figure if I just keep telling the world I invented that word, eventually. There will be credit where credit is very definitely due. Oh, and um, am I a narcissist? Yes, all the best mistresses are. <laughs> you have every reason to have the pride, the love, the joy that you've given this community. Thank you. To be able to hear the stories that you have shared with me and our listeners today just makes me want to do it again. <laughs> and I well, hope I... that someday we can do a part two because, oh my gosh, I just feel like I could talk to you for as long as you would allow me to talk oh. to you. Well, you know, your 200th anniversary could be longer than an hour, Catsuit. <laughs> it absolutely could be because you know what we haven't discussed bull whipping 
in the Hollywood Hills, you know, and how good it feels. And we haven't talked about running along the beach in Malibu with a naked slave and an 11 foot bullwhip and swinging it over your head and dipping it in the ocean and bringing it back and hitting his ass and then swinging it, <laughs> dipping it in the ocean and hitting his ass. So it just keeps running up that beach for you. I mean, you know, fun things like that. <laughs> You know, or how many cat suits did I have? How about, do you remember Mistress Vicky Gold cat suit? She was out of San Francisco, though she starred in LA. Mm-hmm. Worked together first when I was, I met her when I was 19 and she was 27. She had the Temple of Gold in San Francisco, Egyptian, exquisite stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, uh-oh, why did I want to tell you that? You were talking oh, about I know cat suits. What? Vicky was getting married and it was New Year's Eve, 1983. Las Vegas, 84. So I went in a gold lame catsuit with Adam Age boots on my 21-year-old body. Ladies and gentlemen, my waist was a natural 21. My hips were a 37. My breasts, as always, were magnificent, but much smaller with youth. Vicky was wearing a wedding gown I'd had, a short one, short skirt, uh, below the knee with a nice peasant blouse. We're waiting for a midnight marriage at the Imperial Palace. We're walking around. We're both 6'1". A house detective comes over and says, excuse me, and hangs his head. And he says, I don't want to ask this. I don't want to ask this. But my boss insists. Are you working tonight, ladies? And I looked at him and I said, it's her wedding at midnight in your chapel. And where is your boss? And I went, oh, and I was wearing this gorgeous gold, this gorgeous little gold collar. I went striding straight to the boss. And I said, we came from Hollywood. We came for a wedding. It's midnight, New Year's Eve. I chose to wear a cat suit. She happens to be in a wedding gown. I'm sorry that looks improbable to you, but we have a wedding at midnight. You can check. He said, would she like a presidential suite for tonight? I said, of course she would. And Vicky got a really good honeymoon. And that was my golden May cat suit, my wedding gown. Yeah, I love cat suits. I want a new leather one. Hey, anybody want to sponsor one? Let's talk. <laughs> There'll be points. I'm just seeing you in spandex body bags right now, and it's sort of distracting me. I have this peacock blue one that goes all the way over the head, no eyes, zips all the way down the back just stunning. And it just suddenly says, I would fit catsuit perfectly. So I'll try to get back to whatever your next question is, but I'm seeing you in blue on top of that black right now. Just deal with it. I can understand why people can feel your energy just through your voice. Thank you. There is an effect that I am feeling not only from you describing what a dream is for me. (laughs) But it's also the fact that I know as I'm painting a picture in my head, all the amazing things that you have done for me just by doing what you did back in the 80s, allowing me to know that I wasn't alone. Yes, That was the goal. I'm so glad you got that because I, I, and, and you're welcome. And I send cyber hugs right now. Okay. From my spandex clad, half spandex clad body to your fully spandex clad body. 
with a touch of PVC over there. Um, I My goal, and I think it worked, was that if you looked at me, if you looked at my photo, you knew I was real. And if you knew I was real, then you knew where you could go to be found. And um, I don't want to talk about the word mistress, okay? People love to say mistress, and you know there's a million phrases. But I believe that if she really is your mistress, the one you choose, the difference in the comfort you feel as you say mistress, in the feeling of being found because she knows you, is an incredible gift. And there are millions of mistresses, or at least probably 10, 20,000 now. But when it is the right one, you are found. And when you say mistress, there is contentment in your heart. And that, that is what I always wanted to give. I always wanted you to know that if you got to me, you would be found, you would be seen, it would be real. And when you left, you would know that you had followed your dream to the right place. And, um, and for that, I thank those early magazines because, you know, if there were a million magazines, you wouldn't have been able to tell, but you could look and you could see, you know, and by the way, I keep in touch with Stacy Burke and I talked to Darla Crane just the other day and I talked to Greta Carlson all the time. And Eve Howard is still my best friend and Simone is still my best friend. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in continuity and I do not play much now, but let's get to, um, I have plenty of money. <laughs> I have, by the way, I still have just about every outfit I've ever worn, just about every boot, every corset, every dress, every leather, every panty, gentlemen, every G-string. I have it all. And uh, I'm up for a museum show that that uh, is being organized. Um, and some of my pieces would go into it. But I'm hoping that the Met or LACMA or FITM or Otis will see fit to discuss acquiring my wardrobe one day. And along with my wardrobe come 10 sleep sacks and about 15 straight jackets and 50 bridal bits. And the list goes on. And it was all the best because I only bought the best. And, and that's the other thing, ladies. Don't buy a bunch of equipment. Buy the rarest. Buy the smartest. Buy the most exquisite. Because your first few pieces shape your future. So don't buy cheap. Don't get your basic $13 handcuffs. Try to get the good ones. Because if you meet a man and you're sincere and you're brilliant and you only have five things, a riding crop, handcuffs, nipple clamps, a locking chassis device and a really good whip. If you look amazing and if you really care and if it really matters, you've already probably going to get to see him again. And then you can get the next thing, the good body bag, the good hood, the good whatever. But um, go slow. And remember, don't give up your body too much. Don't sodomize too many men. Don't use too many as toilets because it's going to wear your energy out. You will be worn out doing that for them. So remember, you want to be here 43 years later in whatever capacity? You got to head towards the heavier bondage, the, the more deeper skills. And my, my mistress, my boss, when I was 19, she said, stick to two groups. And I started with that. She says, transvestites want to dress. 
And bondage players never want to get out of bondage. And if you can put them together, then you can spend days. And oh, how I have. <laughs> and yes, Katsuit, I meet you. Trust me, we'll slip you into something real quick, young man. Don't you worry. <laughs> I have been trying to figure out. And it came to me about 10 minutes into the episode, the word that I would use to most describe you. Mm. And I think that word is gift. Well, thank you. What you've given to this community, what you've given to the industry, what you've given to me, is something that I don't think this community could ever repay you for, but I think that you've given it freely. Oh, yeah. I... Your heart, as Simone Devon said, mm. is what makes the difference with you. Your heart is there constantly. And that's where your energy comes from. I don't, I don't want to ruin your life. I don't want to end your marriage. I don't want to get you addicted to me. I want to do something perfect for you, with you, that I enjoy. Because I always do it my way. I don't follow a list. But it will be what you dreamt of. And, and I want you to know it mattered. If I see you. It mattered. And, and that, um, that's a high standard, by the way. <laughs> that's a very high standard. So I, I stuck to a standard. And I always wanted there to be love. And that's the next ad I did. I did domination as mischief, warmth. Domination is mischief, warmth, something, and love. And David Jackson said, you can't put love in an ad. And I was like, seriously? Try me. It's going in. And then years later, I realized that Countess Anne, who was one of my great first inspirations, along with Mistress Papillon of Calgary, Canada, who died too young. Um, I saw an old Lashes magazine. And if you've never seen Lashes magazine, try and find it, ladies and gentlemen. Coarse, but real. Um, she wrote the word love as well. And I started reading her when I was 19. And I put in the words, domination is mischief, something and love in 92. So she did inspire me. Yeah. Heart is important. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with being loving. There really isn't. Because here's the thing. Humiliation is dangerous. Okay. And I mean it like this. I meet you. I don't know you. Okay. And I decide because I'm some ill-trained beginner dominatrix that humiliation means, hey, you know, I noticed you've got a fat stomach and um, any day now you're going to be bald. And when was the last time your wife actually slept with you? Okay, I'm sorry. That's not healthy. And it may be easy and you may think of it as humiliation, but it's not. Humiliation is a science. And if I humiliate you, one of my favorite things, I spit in your mouth. Spit, not phlegm. If your eyes light up, if you glow, if you are happy, 
then I'm doing it right. And if when you leave me, you're a duck rinsing the water off your tail and you are three inches taller than when you came in the door, I did it right. But if you leave and you never got an erection and your shoulders are like this and you're walking out and you look miserable, I failed. And for the record, mistresses, you fail too when that happens. So love is the way to go. Even when they think they don't want it, even when they say, be, please be cruel to me, fine, slap them 15 times, but then pet them a little and say, oh, you took that so well. And then kick them in the balls because they needed some cruelty. But put affection in your cruelty, even when they say they don't want it, because they need it. There needs to be love. There needs to be care. There needs to be compassion. There needs to be a desire to watch your men grow. Okay? Grow your people. Don't use them. Grow them. And then, hey, they become rich and famous. Trust me, you get spoiled rotten. Okay? I have 11 fur coats, ladies. <laughs> so it, it exists. But you got to be loving. You really do. Work on it if you don't think you should. You know, we used to have what we call the school of screaming domination. And uh, that's a beginner. If you are 10, 15 years in and you still think you're supposed to be shouting all the time, rethink that. And if you want to debate this with me, I'm sure that dear hi there cat suit will find a way to, for us to talk to each other. Because I can think of a few women that are going to feel like I'm personally attacking them. And I'm not. It's I'm more attacking the fact that I feel the skill is leaving some aspects of the scene. And we fought so hard for good equipment. We fought so hard for good clothing. And if I were, and I hate this word, ladies, if I were a vice cop and I was looking at most of your websites now, I'd say it's easy to arrest you. And they just haven't gotten around to it. And it doesn't mean they won't. Because I faced everything. And all it takes is a change in your city's laws and who's on the city council. And it'll happen. And it won't be pretty. So just, just think about your marketing and um, head back towards the more classic dominant arts. Would you please? Public service over. <laughs> Mistress Stephanie Locke. Yes. Thank Man you. whose hands should be tied up right now and there should be a strap across your shoulders pinning you to that chair. That man, yes. And there should be ankle shackles that go around and are locked behind the legs. So your feet can come out to look at me, but you can't go far. Okay, continue. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I knew you could feel it. Every bit. Until we talk again. Until we dance again. I am so honored that Mr. Stephanie Locke joined me for that interview. You can absolutely tell through her words and her stories just how much kink means to her and how much she wants to see this beautiful world grow for all of us. I appreciate every moment she spent with me and appreciated the moments afterwards when we've been able to converse and tell even more stories. Mistress Stephanie Locke, indeed a legend for us. And now to our big announcement. 
What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want began in September of 2020 as a way for people in our community to connect with each other. And now, for over 200 episodes, we have told the story of people within our world with respect, honesty, and most of all, authenticity. We have always been authentically kinky, and now we will be all the time. Premiering in 2024, the next evolution of the podcast begins with the same style you have come to know and love as we become authentically kinky. Authentically Kinky, telling the stories of what women and other wonderful humans want, premieres on the same podcast platforms as before. You don't have to change a thing, and neither will we, because we have always been authentically kinky. This is Skylar West, producer and star of The Assignment on JimWeathers.com, and I am proud to be the one to introduce you to Authentically Kinky. Presented by Dating Kinky 2024. Thank you, Skylar. It is a new era for us. We will be called Authentically Kinky. Telling the stories of what women and other wonderful humans want. I am so excited for our next chapter. Have you missed an episode or want to catch up on our nearly 200 episodes? All our shows are available in the archives. And here's what's coming up on the next edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. Our conversations with legends continue as we talk to the matriarch of the Chicago kink scene. It's Chicago Mistress Simone next time. New shows premiere every Tuesday on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. And I am John, authentically kinky and also known as Hi There, Katsu. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time. And I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What women and other wonderful humans want connects with you. Join us on Twitter at WhatWomenWantP1, on Instagram at WhatWomenWantPodcast, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at www.podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky, built by kinksters for kinksters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free.